name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I'd like to begin this morning with a quote by uh, Dr. Thomas uh, Streiner. He says this, he says, and I quote, Disciples have a distinct profile over against the world. They admit that they are poor in spirit, are peacemakers and merciful, endure persecution, do not hate those who mistreat them, are not marked by lust and abuse of women, love their enemies, do not practice religion for the praise of others, trust God for their physical needs, and do not judge others. They communicate their difference from the world and shine as witnesses in a dark world. In the summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs got together in council, and they got together for the purpose of hearing a presentation by a Christian missionary from Boston. Richard, you'll appreciate this. His, his last name was Cram. And uh, so after Brother Cram shared the, the message of the gospel with, uh, with these chiefs, uh, Red Jacket, Chief Red Jacket, leading, leading chief, I guess, he stood up and responded, and this is what he said to Brother Cram. He said, Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the book? Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. What if everybody waited to examine our lives after we've shared Jesus with them? What if they waited to see the effect that the gospel has had on our life before they responded to that? I wonder if they would see things like uh, Dr. Schreiner mentioned. Would, would they see us as poor in spirit? Would they see us as peacemakers and merciful? Would they see us enduring persecution, hating those, I mean, loving those who hate us? not being people marked by lust or by abuse of others, that we don't practice our religion in front of others just for their praise? Would that, is that what they would see in us? Would they see us as people who don't judge others? How many people would accept the Lord Jesus based on what they've seen in you and in me? The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, uh, he said that people like Chief Redcoat or Red Jacket uh, are indeed watching us to see if our faith makes a difference in our life. They're looking at us. They're watching us. Here's what Peter says. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do evil, they may, by observing your good works, glorify God in the day of visitation. That word observe there, it's, it's, it's actually not just a, a passing glance, but it's when they look at you and they stare at your life, right? He says, will they see that by your conduct that your lives are different so that, that they'll glorify God when they are convicted by the Spirit, when they hear the gospel message? Will they see something different in you? And what are they looking for, by the way? When people are looking at you, what are they looking for? What would, what would Chief Red Jacket be specifically saying when he said, we're going to look at the people 
you know, around and see what difference your preaching is making in them. Well, he says it. He says, I want to see that their behavior matches their belief. I want to see that their walk matches their talk. I want to see that their character matches their confession. That what they say on Sunday isn't just something for Sunday, but it's something for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. In a word, what they're looking for is they're looking to see that our our faith makes a difference in our character and how we live and, and you know the truth about our life. So, you know, we finished John and I've been looking for for you know you know, for something for God to speak to me about what we should be talking about. And I've this is what I've come up with. So through the month of November, we're gonna be talking about uh, growing our character. We're going to be talking about growing our character because that's what people are looking at. People are looking at our lives. And I think it's a great challenge for us to talk about developing and exemplifying the kind of character that God wants us to have. Now, I've got two caveats that I want to share with you for context as we begin this series. And it's going to go all the way probably through the first, maybe second Sunday of December even. We'll see. But I got two caveats that I want to mention. First of all, this is, this is the first one. The process of developing your character is not an, an overnight, one-time, immediate event. The process of developing your character is a lifetime thing. I mean, developing your character is going to take your entire life. God's going to be working on it. That doesn't mean that we don't work on it now. That doesn't mean we don't seek to grow it, but it's kind of like an oak tree, right? An oak tree starts as a little acorn, but it takes years and years and years to become that that, uh, that oak tree that it is. And so it is with us. Our character, you know, it, it's going to begin small, but hopefully we'll, we'll begin growing. But it's going to take a lifetime to, for you and me to develop the character that God wants us to have. Someone sent me a video this week, um, or last week it was, I'm sorry, about repentance. I mean, and this, this video was so good because the brother talks about how repentance is just, it, it begins with maybe just me saying, Lord, I repent. I change my mind about Jesus. I believe he really is, I really, really believe he's my savior. I want to follow him. It begins maybe with something as simple as that, right? But it doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. That's the beginning point. Repentance, then we, we begin to continue to repent our entire life. So the repentance of a man who's been following Jesus for 30 years is going to be different than the repentance of someone who's just beginning. But repentance begins the process and it continues to grow. So that's what I'm trying to say to you. Listen, what I'm going to be talking about over these, over today and over the next weeks is, I mean, this is, this is just the beginning. We, we need to be developing our character our entire lives. The second caveat is that we're not talking about moralism here. There's almost a, a move in the church that says we can't talk about behavior because, because somehow we're equating with the behavior with how we, whether God's going to love us or not. So we're not moralists, but listen, it's hooey to say that we don't talk about, about our character. It's just wrong for us not to challenge us. Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you to do, right? To be. So God wants us to develop our character. He wants us to walk in, in accordance with his will. So that we're not moralists, it's wrong for us not to talk about, uh, about the kind of character and the kind of person and the kind of will that God desires for us to walk in. We need to walk in a life of repentance, following God, so that we will flourish personally, so that our families, so your individual family will flourish, so that our church will flourish, and so that the community at large will flourish as we walk according 
to God's will. So I'm hoping that the things I say are going to challenge us in our character to, to develop that character, hone that character, even sharpen that, uh, that character. And we're going to begin with individual qualities, character qualities or character traits that God wants us uh, to develop. So this morning, I want to start with probably which is the obvious, and, and that is I want to start with the character quality of love. Because love is absolutely foundational for life. Without love, uh, the other Christian character traits just, they simply will not exist. Without love, you won't be humble. Without love, you won't uh, have the courage to step up. You'll step back. Without love, you won't be forgiving. You won't be giving. You won't be faithful. Without love, you won't even have a desire. Without loving God, you won't even have a desire to live according to God's moral standard, okay? So uh, God, with, without love, can I say this? I remember when I wrote these words down, it was impactful. Without love, we are nothing like Jesus. Without love, we are nothing like Jesus. So the place to begin talking about our character has to begin, it has to begin right here, talking about developing the character quality of love in our life. Now, I don't think there's anything I could say that's probably more profound than this, and it is simply that love, we're talking about the character of quality of love, love does. Something so simple, love does. Love does good for others. Love does, does well as far as caring for others. L love is a verb. Love isn't primarily a feeling. We, we talk about in our culture, when we talk about love, we're always talking about feelings, right? You know, I fell in love like it's something you trip into or something. And, and I'm not minimizing emotional love. I, I know that's a real thing, but that's not love. When we talk about our character quality, the character of love, that's not what we're talking about. Love is not something you trip into. It's not something that's beyond your control. Love is doing. It is not feeling. So the character quality of love is us doing good towards others. It is caring about others. It's doing good for them. It is a verb. Now, how do I know that it's a verb? I want to give you three reasons why I know it's a verb. And, uh, and these don't come from me. These come from someone else. But, uh, but I've taken them and I want to share them with them. I think this, this brother who came up with them, I think he's absolutely right. This is why love, this is, this is why love is a verb. Love is doing for others. Here's the first reason. You, you, you cannot command feelings. You can only command actions. The reason why love is a verb is because we can't mandate feelings. And God commands us mandates us throughout his word by the Lord Jesus himself. He is mandating us to love. He says the greatest thing you can do is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He tells us to do that. And then he says, he commands us to do the second great thing, which is to love our neighbor. And he commands us to love our families, to love our spouse. He even commands us to love our enemies. You can't command a feeling. You can only command an action. So in Luke 6, 27, it says, But you who are listening, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. A couple of verses later, in verse 35, he says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. So the first four words after both of those commands to love our enemies are simply this, do good to them. It's, it's, see, it's doing, it's action. 
That's how we love them. We do good for them. We do good to our enemies. He's not commanding you to have a love fuzzy, a, lo, a, a warm fuzzy for your enemy. He's commanding you to do something good for your enemy. And I can actually do something good for them. I cannot command my feelings to love my enemy feeling-wise. Love, love is, is commanded of us. Love God. Love people. Love your enemy. But you can't command feelings. If I say to you now, I command you to be happy. I mean, maybe I might just, maybe something might well up in you. You thought that was cute, right? And so you could laugh a little bit. But I can't, we can't command people to be happy feeling-wise. But if I command you, and I'm going to do it now, I command you smile. Oh, like Micah over there, see? I can command you to smile. Now, you can disobey my command, but every one of you, if you wanted to, you could obey that command because it's an action. I'm, ask, I'm asking you to simply do something. God asks us to love. He's not commanding a feeling. Feelings are, are, they come involuntarily as response to stimuli. For instance, yesterday uh, at the wedding that we were officiating in, uh, it was kind of cool, especially under the trees, but you stepped out into the sun and immediately you're, you felt like, ah, oh. you, know you know how that's like? You know when you've been out in the snow and the ice and you're freezing, your hands are wet, everything's cold, and you walk in and there's a roaring fire? You know how you feel? I mean, those feelings come from the external stimuli that you're experiencing. That feelings can be affected by stimuli, but not by command. They can also be affected not just by external stimuli, but how I'm feeling on the inside. For instance, uh, here's an illustration. I'm in a meeting, and it breaks for lunch, and everybody leaves me behind, okay? So depending on my internals, right, I might think, well, nobody wanted to be with me. And what happens is I get sad and I get, you know, I start feeling down on myself because everybody left me. But what if I'm an introvert and I'm so tired of being with people and they all left? I'm like, wow, I'm so glad they're all gone, right? And you're really happy about that. So same external stimuli, right? So what, what, what made the difference? Just my internal expectations, you see, feelings are affected by that sort of thing, but God commands us to love. And that's how come I know that's how come I know that love is a, is a verb. If you want to do good to someone, what do you do? You just do something. I mean, if you want to love someone, what do you, what do you want to do? You just do something good for them. And if you do that, it changes your feelings. Maybe not all the time, but it changes. I've shared this story before. This is an old story, but George Crane was a marriage counselor, and this woman came in, and she hated her husband, and she wanted a divorce, and she told Dr. Crane that she wanted to hurt him as bad as, uh, as she could, her husband. And he said, well, I've got this idea, and it was an ingenious plan. This is what he said. Go home and act as if you really loved your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you really love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love, walk in and drop the bomb. You're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. And she saw revenge in all of that. She thought that was beautiful, and she went home and she did it. And for the next two months, she just did everything the doctor had said. When she came back to the doctor to see him, uh, Dr. Crane said, are you ready to go through the divorce now? And she said, divorce? Never. I discovered I really do love him. You see, her actions affected her, um, her feelings. 
Is that a true story, Doc? <laughs> he says it is. I've heard it forever, but uh, your actions affect your feelings, all right? You're commanded to love. Love is a verb. It's something God's telling you to do. Here's another reason why I know the Bible, uh, that love in the Bible is a verb. It's because the Bible always treats love as something you do, not something you feel. Think about it. All the passages in the scripture are about what you do. Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Here's another passage from John's writing, 1 John chapter 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him or them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, love's not a feeling. It's always something God is commanding us to do something for people to serve them, to, to be kind to them, to help them, to be gracious towards them. Probably the premier Bible passage on love is 1 Corinthians 13. I actually kind of wanted to stay away from it this morning, but you really can't. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I mean, do you see all the action descriptors in that description of love? He says, we act patiently towards others. We show kindness towards others. We, uh, are, self, we are selfless instead of selfish towards others. We are forgiving others. That's a positive action on my, on my part. We are blessing others. The character quality of love is about us doing for others. That's the character of love that Jesus wants us to hone in on, wants us to develop. That's what he wants us to grow. This is a great story. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision. You've probably all heard about World Vision. But uh, it was a relief agency, and he was dying of leukemia. Before he died, he went off to Indonesia to visit some of his colleagues. And while he was there in Indonesia, they were at a small village, and they came upon a young girl who's lying on a, on a bamboo mat beside a river, and she's dying of cancer, and she has just a short amount of time to, to, to live. And Bob was indignant. Why is she not in the clinic, you know? And his friend explained to her that she was from the jungle, and that she really wanted to spend her last days by the river, which is what she was familiar with. So Bob gazed at her, and, and the story says that he had so much compassion, he got down on his knees there by the river in the mud, and he took her hand and began to stroke it. And she couldn't understand what he was saying, but he was praying for her. And uh, afterwards, she looked up, and she said something, and Bob asked his friend, what did she say? And his friend said, she said, if I could only sleep again, if I could only sleep again, the, the cancer pain was so great she couldn't sleep. Well, Bob at that point begins to weep because Bob is experiencing the same thing with his leukemia. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out uh, a jar of sleeping, a little thing of sleeping pills that he had that his doctor had given him because he couldn't sleep either. And he handed the bottle to his friend and he said, you make sure this young lady gets one every night until they run out. Bob was 10 days from getting his, uh, his prescription, being able to get his prescription refilled. 
And uh, so by giving the little girl his, his pills, you know, it was going to mean that he was going to have 10 nights of, of not sleeping very well, maybe not sleeping, sleeping at all. But in the midst of his suffering, God infused in Bob this just supernatural desire, if you would, to do, to bless, to prefer the little girl over himself. Now, maybe you're thinking, but what about his sleep? I mean, doesn't Bob have a right to his sleep? Sure he does, but love does. See, I'm trying to challenge us to grow our character of love. So it's not about your sleeping, really. It's about what can you do? How can you serve others? How can you bless others? That's who Jesus is, and that's who we are as his sons and daughters. That's who we are as part of his kingdom, Jeffrey Collins worked for a, a Love in Action office. I don't know exactly what. There's a Christian ministry, and I'm just going to read his story to you, too. It had, been, it had been a trying week at our Love in Action office. At 5 o'clock on Friday, I was looking forward to having a quiet dinner with friends, and the phone rang. Jeff, it's Jimmy, I heard this quivering voice say. Jimmy, who was suffering from several age-related illnesses, was one of our regular clients. I'm really sick, Jeff. I've got a fever. Please help me. And I was angry. After 65 uh, hours working that week, I didn't want to hear about Jimmy, but I promised to be right over. Still, during the drive over, I complained to God about the inconvenience. The moment I walked in the door, I could smell vomit. Jimmy was on the sofa, shivering and in distress. I wiped his forehead and then got a bucket of soapy water to clean up the mess. I managed to maintain a facade of concern, even though I was raging inside. Jimmy's friend Russ, who also had AIDS, came down the stairs. The odor made Russ sick, too. As I cleaned the carpet around Russ's chair, I was ready to explode on the inside. Then Russ startled me. I understand. I understand. What, Russ? Jimmy asked weakly. I understand who Jesus is, Russ said through tears. He's like Jeff. Weeping, I I hugged Russ and I prayed with him. And that night, Russ decided to follow Jesus, a God who had used me to show his love in spite of myself. So what was Jeff feeling the whole time he's cleaning up vomit? And I tell you what, I could, I could relate. He was raging on the inside. He was angry. He was frustrated. He, uh, he had plans and they, they got set aside for, for Jimmy because of Jimmy's uh, problems. And he, but here's the point. He did the loving thing. He did what love does in spite of his feelings. See, because love's not a feeling. Love is doing. And he did the loving thing in spite of his feelings, and God used that to reach Russ. See, love is a verb. Love is doing for others. Number three, the third reason that love is a verb is because Jesus is the example of love for us. You want to know what love is like? Look at Jesus. Actually, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. I mean, did you hear me? You want to know what love is like? Look at Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God demonstrate his own love? By doing, by dying for us. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we know what love is? Look at Jesus, gave his life for us. 
Same book, a little bit later on, 1 John 4, John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How does God show his love for us? Jesus comes and does. He comes and dies for us. What is love? The Bible points us to Jesus, and he points us to Jesus dying for us. Here's those verses again in a different translation. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. Doesn't matter the cost, Jesus loved us us. And the reason I know love is a verb is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, he did for us. He didn't just feel for us. He, he did for us. Author and speaker Brennan Manning was, uh, I'm, I'm sure this brother's Catholic. He has an amazing story about how he got the name Brennan. So he grew up with a fellow by the name of Ray Brennan, and uh, he and Ray were inseparable as kids and then as teenagers. They bought a car together. They double-dated together. They enlisted in the Army together. They fought on the front lines together, and they were in a foxhole together. They were from, uh, they were from Brooklyn, and one night they're in the foxhole, and they are, and they are actually, Brennan is talking, and, and Ray is eating a chocolate bar when all of a sudden a live grenade is thrown into their foxhole. Brennan tells the story that uh, Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray, but Brennan's life was spared. When Brennan became a priest later on, he was instructed that he had to take the name of a saint, and he took the name of his friend, Ray Brennan. He took Brennan as his name. And uh, years later, he went to see Ray's family, or he went to see his mom, and they sat up late into the night having tea and talking. And then Brennan asked her this question. He said, do you think that Ray loved me? And Mrs. Brennan got off the couch and she was angry and she put her face, her finger in, in Brennan's face. And she said, what more could he have done? And then Brennan said in, in, in an instant, in a flash, I had one of those moments where I saw Mary saying to me about when I'm asking, does God love me? And she's pointing at Jesus or pointing at me and saying, what more could Jesus have done for you? You see, the reason I know that love is a verb is because of what Jesus did. Love is doing. Love is giving. It's even giving to the point of that ultimate sacrifice. So, so here's my application for us. How do we develop the character of love? And so just in case you've missed it, you know, love is doing good. It's doing kind. It's doing gracious things for others. It's, it's, not, it's not a feeling as much as it is preferring others is more important myself and doing things to bless them. That's what love is. And it's doing it no matter what the cost to you. So how, how do I develop this character of loving others, this character quality of loving others? Well, it just, it just, it's developed by doing. Seriously, I'm not trying to be simplistic, but you want to grow your character of love, you grow it by doing. 
You grow it by, by acting and doing something, not just feeling something or thinking something. So here's my application. I want to send us out this week. You know, I've written down, I want to send us out as love warriors. I'm not sure that's, that's a good oxymoron or not. But I want to send you out to do battle. I want to send you out to do battle in love this week. I really, I want to, here's the application. I'm asking all of you, and I'm asking myself to let's go out this week and let's develop the character of love by doing it. Let's go out and just exercise, exercise love. I, I read this story. It's a granddaughter talking to her poppy, and she's six years old. And she says to poppy, I have a superpower. He says, you do? And she says, yeah, he's intrigued. And she, he says, what is it? She says, love. Little six-year-old girl, love. Love is my superpower. I like the Marvel movies. And I, and I like thinking about what it'd be like to have a superpower. But I got to be honest. As, as I listen to that little six-year-old girl, I, I thought to myself sitting at my desk, man, that's the superpower I want. And then I had another thought. It's a superpower that I already have because Christ is in me. And I, I can love supernaturally because, because of the Spirit of God in me. I can love differently. I can be different than, than the world around me. I can love different. I've got a supernatural God who's taken up dwelling in my life. I can supernaturally love people. You've got a superpower. I mean, an amazing. I mean, Marvel needs to come and talk to me about making a movie here, right? I'm telling you, we, can have the, we have the superpower of love. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for you and me to go out this week and exercise the superpower of love. I want you to love others around you this week. I, I'm not talking about just thinking it. I'm not talking about feeling it. I'm talking, I want you to love people this week. I want you to love at home. I want you to love your spouse. I want you to love your children. I want you to love your parents. I want you to exercise love this week. Develop your character quality of love. Here, but I want to go further. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to find a way to love your neighbor. I want you to find a way to love your enemy. Who's your enemy? And I don't mean somebody you think is going to kill you. I mean an enemy that you just cannot stand. They don't, maybe you know they don't stand you either, right? But I want you to find a way to love that person this week too. I mean, to do it, to, to leave here committed to, to love, to grow my character quality love by doing it, by doing it. I want to send you out with a story. Bob Moffat, uh, he loved to work in his yard, and one day the Lord told him to clean up his neighbor's yard. And so he did, because his neighbor never cleaned his own yard. So he cleaned his yard. And you know what? He cleaned his neighbor's yard. Whenever he cleaned his yard, he cleaned his neighbor's yard for two years. And then one day the neighbor came and said to Bob, tell me about Jesus. He was an alcoholic. He had many problems. But that day he opened his heart to the Lord. Several years later, this man invited Bob and his family to come to his house. They, they, they lived in different places now. Much time had gone by. But he invited Bob over and he said, Bob, because you cleaned my yard for two years, I came to believe in Jesus. I'm now an elder in my church, and I'm free from alcohol. And on the weekends when I'm not working, I find people who have problems and needs like I had, and I try to help them. 
And this all happened because you loved me with Christ love. Love does. It's a verb. It's not a feeling. It's not, it's not thought. It's not an accolade that I tag on my thing that says, hey, I love. That's not what it is at all. It is, it is us doing, okay, no matter the cost. And it can be spontaneous and it can be planned, but, but it, is, it is doing. So let's do. Let's do something this week. Here's what I'd like to, here's what I'd like to happen. I'd like you to go out and do this week, and then I'd like you to, hey, if you love and you, you grow your character by practicing love this week, by doing it, write it down. And then I want us to come next week, and I want to share stories of how you grew your character in love this week, how you loved people. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, help us to love. Help us to grow our character. We know that God is love. You don't even say you have love. You say you are love. I guess of all the character qualities that you want us to develop and hone and strengthen and sharpen, Lord, this has got to be at the pinnacle. So I would pray that even, even as we leave here now, that we would be just wanting to grow our character of love by doing. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.